listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So we continue with Ecclesiastes, and today it's from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 through 20. We had friends over last night, and they were reading this, and he said, I might need to start to come to church. (laughs) The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth will gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them increase, and what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not let them sleep. There is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hands. As they come from their mother's womb, so they shall go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing for their toil that they may carry away with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from toiling for the wind? Besides all their days, they eat in darkness, in much anger and sickness and resentment. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of the life God gives us, for this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find an enjoyment in their toil. This is the gift of God. For they all will scarcely brood over the days of their lives, because God keeps them occupied with the joys of their hearts. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jenny, for that reading. So this should be an uplifting one, right? Um, Man, with a title like the futility of work and wealth, and a title slide like that, you guys, how can we go wrong? Um, So usually when pastors preach about money, you dread it um, because they're going to be asking for it usually. But with with Ecclesiastes, there is a whole other level of dread we have to deal with. Um, We are going to be talking about wealth today, and it's a theme that has come up a few times as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, especially as it relates to labor and the apparent futility of work. Uh, This sense that you work and you work and you work with very little to show for it. Just to give you a little sample of some of what we've seen so far in this book. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? That's the third sentence in Ecclesiastes, you guys, just throwing that out there. Um, I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to my successor, and who knows whether he will be wise or foolish, yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled. What do mortals get from all their toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. Then I saw that all the toil and all skill and work come from one person's envy of another. 
This also is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Are we sensing a theme here, you guys? <laughs> yeah. The teacher is wrestling with this apparent meaninglessness of work. Have you ever had a job that felt pointless? Never-ending, monotonous. You're doing the same thing day in and day out. Maybe it was like a dead-end job. Um, or a job where it just felt like you could never get ahead. Maybe you were lied to in the interview process, or you had a bad boss, or you worked for some terrible company for like meager pay and benefits, and you find yourself wondering, why am I doing this? Has anyone been there? Just, okay, I'm going to say all of us, even though only like half of you raise your hand. I know you've all been there. Um, I've been working since I was 11 years old. Uh, my first job was as a paper boy in my neighborhood growing up. Um, I was a paperboy for like eight years, you guys. Um, and of course, I had a string of summer jobs, teenage jobs. I worked at an amusement park. Uh, I worked on a farm. Um, I worked at a summer camp. But my first grown-up job, my first adult job, when I was 18 years old, I got a job in a factory uh, that made hydraulics, like big hydraulic pumps for like military and industrial use. And I deburred manifolds. Now. I have a picture of a manifold up here, the kind of thing that I used to work with. I think it's the next slide. These are the kind of things I worked with. Uh, they're basically blocks of metal with like holes drilled into them. Some are as small as a deck of cards, some are as big as a fridge, and like all sizes in between. And they'd have all these holes drilled in where different parts and plugs and tubes would hook in for whatever these, these pumps were doing. And whenever those drill holes would intersect, there'd be these sharp little burrs, these little metal bits that'd be hanging off. And I had to go in there and smooth them out. That was my job. Um, I used this little pneumatic tool that had a small, like, round, really hard stone on the end of it. Whenever you squeeze it, it would be like, Zip! you know, it was like one of those, one of those things. And I would get in there with my flashlight and this thing, and you're getting every single little sharp bit of metal in there. Uh, it was a dirty job. At the end of every shift, I would be covered in like metallic dust, like a, like a greasy tin man. Um, and of course they gave you no mask or anything. You had, you had goggles, but you didn't, nothing to cover your mouth, because come on. Um, and they would bring a pallet of like 500 of the exact same part, just stacked on top of each other. And the boss would say like, you've got two days, just knock these out. And so I'd do the same exact thing on every piece. And then they'd be done, I'd blow them out, take them to the next stage of the factory, by the time I got back to my workbench, there was another 500 pieces there with a new due date. Hevel, right? <laughs> it never ended. You would work and work and work, but there was always just more to do. I got so bored. One time, one time I got so bored with the, the monotony of it all, I took this little metal tool, this deburrer, and I just started deburring random stuff. Like I, I did it on the workbench and it sparked. Um, I did it on my, my boot, and it smelled the burning rubber. I looked at my hand, and I was like, I wonder. And, <laughs> and remember, like, I'm, I'm a relatively intelligent person, but I was just so damn bored. So I, I took it, and I went, oh, it, it was really stupid. It was a really dumb thing to do. <clears throat> but I still have the scar on my hand. I look there, and I can remember 20 years ago, my year deburring manifolds. Why do we do these monotonous jobs? Money. money, exactly, exactly for money, to make a little money. You've got to eat, you've got to put a roof over your head, and so we work these jobs 
to earn a living, often jobs that we get very little meaning or fulfillment from. In our passage for today, this work theme is in the background. But the teacher zeroes in on that thing we're working so hard to earn. Wealth, money, silver. And he tells us that this too is vanity. Now our passage for today divides pretty evenly into three sections. We pull up this outline here on the next slide. You got three sections. Next slide, Micah. Mm, There we go. Got three sections. here. You got verses 10 to 12, which I'm going to label Mo Money, Mo Problems, uh, to quote the late great American philosopher Biggie Smalls. Um, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Then there's this next section, verses 13 to 17, which I'm going to label You Can't Take It With You. And then we've got the third section, verses 18 to 20, which I want to talk about in a bit more depth. So that's, that's to be continued, okay? We're going to get there. Let's move quickly through these first two sections, though, because, honestly, they're a little depressing, and then we'll, we'll zero in on the last part. Does that sound like a plan? Awesome. This is the first section, um, Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 10. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them increase. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not let them sleep. Okay. Guys, remember back in the fall when we did Proverbs, all that proverbial wisdom, these statements to give us wisdom? This would fit really well in Proverbs. This is proverbial wisdom. It's got a kind of pensive Ecclesiastes flair to it, but we're reading Proverbs. That's what these are. And I think we could summarize all of these with that message, that motto, more money, more problems. If you love money, you are never going to be satisfied. You will never have enough. If you think money is going to make your problems go away, give you security, oh, if I can just take care of these three or four little things, it's never going to be enough. You're always going to need just a little bit more. That's the first one. You can go back to the Proverbs on the previous slide. The second one, when goods increase, those who eat them increase. If you do happen to come into money, if you're, if you're lucky enough to put a little away, uh, win something, earn something, come into some, some money, all of a sudden all these friends are going to come out of the woodwork. You hear from long-lost cousins that you've never met who want some, who want a piece, who want to be in proximity to this wealth. That's what that one's saying. And then sweet is the sleep of laborers. You might be in a pointless, exhausting, dead-end job, but at least it tires you out enough that you can sleep at night, hopefully. Whereas the abundance of the wealthy, the full bellies of the rich, will not let them sleep. More money, more problems. We tracking with that so far? We following this? Good? Okay. Second section in the outline, which we're going to label, we, you can't take it with you. Verse 13. There is a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. 
Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hands as they came from their mother's womb, so they shall go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing for their toil that they may carry away with their hands. I told you it'd be a little dark. If I were to summarize this, it would be that old line my dad always says, you can't take it with you. That's biblical, believe it or not. The message here is that we come into the world with nothing and we leave the same way, with nothing. You might come into wealth, you might achieve financial stability, but it can disappear in a heartbeat. A little bad luck, uh, an unwise investment, an unforeseen medical issue or accident, and it is gone. Poof. Hevel. Don't put your security in wealth. It is going to let you down. Jesus actually tells a story in the Gospel of Luke where he's riffing on this idea. He's basically uh, extrapolating on Ecclesiastes 5. This is from Luke chapter 12. Jesus said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now pause. Where did he get that line from? Eat, drink, and be merry. Where do you hear that? Ecclesiastes, right. The dude in the parable thinks he's understood Ecclesiastes, but he he skipped a part. Verse 20. But God said to him, uh, next slide, Micah. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. And then Jesus drops the microphone, whatever the the first century equivalent of a mic drop is. Don't hoard your wealth. Don't waste time building bigger storehouses, bigger silos to store all your stuff. Don't root your identity in a bank account. You are not your career. You are not some number on on a checking statement. All that stuff can disappear like that. And then what do you have? Whatever energy, whatever toil, whatever work you put into accumulating material stuff, make sure to work just as hard to store up treasure in heaven. Spend time in prayer, discipleship, fellowship, community with other believers. Grow in intimacy with God. Serve others. Discern God's will for your life. That is what it looks like to be rich toward God. So back to our outline. We've got more money, more problems. You can't take it with you. 
That brings us to this last section, what I really want to focus on, where the teacher actually offers up some constructive advice of what he wants us to do with our wealth. Verse 18. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of the life God gives us, for this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil, this is the gift from God. For they will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. That last line is when I just want to like meditate on it for, for a few decades, maybe. They will scarcely brood over the days of their lives because God keeps them occupied with the joy of their hearts. The um, answer we're given, the advice of this teacher from Ecclesiastes who's amassed all this wealth as he's testified to, is to enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy your wealth. Enjoy your labor and the fruit of your work. Enjoy it while you have it because it won't last forever. You might hate your job. You might have coworkers that you can't stand. You might hate working nine to five, commuting, doing overtime. Enjoy it. Find some form of fulfillment in it because one day it's going to be gone. One day, either physically or mentally or for whatever other reason, you are not going to be able to do that job anymore and you're going to miss it, this job you hate. As boring and monotonous as my job, Deepering Manifolds, was, I miss it sometimes. Um, I miss the simplicity of a job where you know what to expect every single day. I miss the guys in the shop, how they would bust on each other, how they would bust on me. I miss their stories and their wisdom. That was 20 years ago. Some of those guys aren't even around anymore. Take joy in your toil while you can. Celebrate the victories, however small they are. You got an email out today? Good job. You got something done. Find satisfaction in what you do. Take some, some of that joy that I know you all possess, that joy I see in you, the joy of the Lord. Take that and share it with the people you work with, even the people you don't like, especially the people you don't like. Share that joy. Enjoy your wealth. That is not a message we expect to hear from the Bible around money, right? Like, Scripture holds up a lot of values when it comes to money. Uh, we're told to be wise with our money. Don't waste it on foolish endeavors. We should be generous and care for the poor. We should live within our means. We should save and not hoard. All good values that the Bible lifts up at various points around money. But here in Ecclesiastes, we're pointed to another biblical value around wealth, and that's to enjoy it because it's a gift. Everything we have is a gift from God. 
Whatever wealth we possess, however big, however small, it's a gift. Why do you give gifts to someone? Desire to give? Yeah. You, you want to you wanna see them enjoy it, right? If you've ever given someone the perfect gift, seeing them open it, seeing them react, seeing them use it, wear it, talk about it, that's the joy. There is no joy in hoarding your wealth. Storing it away, building larger and larger storehouses. If you're going to enjoy your wealth, you've got to use some of it. You've got to do something with it. You've got to make something, create something, celebrate something. Don't be afraid to splurge from time to time. Don't be afraid to party, to cook a big meal, invite over good friends for some rich food and even better conversation. Don't be afraid to celebrate big life events, transitions, Birthdays, graduations, anniversaries, retirements, weddings. Go big. Rent the dance hall. Get a DJ. Have an open bar. Celebrate. There is a time to party. There's a time to splurge. Did you know, I found this out this week, there are 41 feast days in the church calendar. Did you know that? We, as, as Baptists, we don't talk about the church calendar much. We do like Christmas, Easter, maybe Advent and Lent a little bit. But like our, our more liturgical friends, um, our Catholic friends, Lutherans, Episcopalians, they have 41 feast days. That is a party almost every week, you guys. Um, <clears throat> this past Wednesday, what's that? Down. You're down. Yeah, I mean, we could go liturgical. We could do it. <laughs> Uh, this past Wednesday was the Feast of St. Paul. Um, January 25th is apparently the day that Paul had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. I don't know how they know that. It sounds made up to me. But we all could have been celebrating Paul on Wednesday. We could have been having a party in his honor. Don't be afraid to celebrate. Don't be afraid to splurge from time to time within reason. When you want to honor someone or commemorate an event, when you're feeling especially grateful, this doesn't even have to enjoy, uh, involve money. There are other ways to do this, smaller ways, simpler ways. I have a friend who has this really cool tradition where every Saturday they get out the fine china and, and he and his family have pancakes and waffles on the fine china. Aaron and I have a set of china. It was given to us when we were married, family heirloom. I don't think we've ever eaten on it. I, I don't know if I've ever seen it other than to like box it up when we move. But like this friend of mine, he, he, he does it every Saturday just because he eats waffles on the china. When he told me about this, I asked him, like, aren't you afraid that your kids are going to break something, crack something? He has little kids, just a bit older than mine. And he was like, who cares if they break something? They gave us 12 place settings. Let them break something, which is, which is amazing. Find ways to treat yourself, to celebrate, to enjoy the fruit of your work. Now, of course, it is the month of January. Uh, We are nearing the end of our pledge drive here at church, so I've got to point out that another way to enjoy your money, to enjoy your wealth, is to give, to give some of it to a greater cause. You knew this was coming, by the way. You had to know this. (laughs) Some of the most joyful feelings, experiences, moments I've had is when I've been able to help someone. I've been able to bless someone else with my wealth. Um, A friend reaches out who's in need, 
and you're able to meet that need. Um, when you're able to support a cause or an organization that you really care about, there's incredible joy in that. It gives me incredible joy to know that like, when someone reaches out to our church, if there is a family in crisis in our community, if one of you is in crisis and reach out, we are almost always able to help in some way. That gives me incredible joy. And there are all sorts of reasons that we give. There's all sorts of reasons for generosity. Some people give out of duty. Some people give out of, out of habit. They don't even really think about it. They just do. I admire those people. <laughs> um, some people give for selfish reasons. There are people who give to be recognized or to have their name on a building. Not sure if there's much joy in that. But one of the purest reasons we give is for the sheer joy of it. There's that line from 2 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. We say it so much it's almost cliche, but there is power. There is truth in that line. And um, to give you all a heads up, next Sunday at church, we're going to do something in the service next week that we have not done in three years, almost three years. Since the pandemic started, we have not passed a physical offering plate. Um, we stopped taking traditional offerings, you know, back during the pandemic, and we haven't brought it back. We just do this kind of awkward thing in every service where, like, we have an offering, but we don't. <laughs> we, like, we remind you how to give online. We talk about the joy boxes. We sing a song, and then we don't take an offering. It's a little weird. It's a little awkward. It's one of those pandemic things that we're going to talk about in, like, 10 years. But for a few months now, church council has been discussing the possibility of bringing back the offering plate. Um, I was opposed to it at first. I didn't think we needed to do it. But then we passed the plate on Christmas Eve just to dip our toe in the water. And after that, I heard from multiple people who missed it. I heard from families with kids about how much they appreciated it, how excited their kid got to, to be able to touch something in the service, to be able to pass the plate. Um, I heard about a mom whose kid was like excitedly searching through her purse for a coin to put into the offering plate. And I realized, it occurred to me, my kids have never experienced a traditional offering in church. Not, not one they remember, at least. Our kids are missing out on an opportunity to witness us give. A community come together around a common cause out of joy. So we're going to try it. We're going to pass the plate next Sunday. It'll be super awkward because we haven't done it in three years. Just prepare yourselves for that. Um, we're only going to do it on first Sundays, communion Sundays, family Sundays, to kind of dip our toe back in the water and see how it goes. But that's the plan for next week. Now, if you are someone who still brings a physical offering and puts it in the joy box, you will have the option next week to put it in the plate if you want. And if you're someone who has kids, since the kids will be in the service, bring a quarter for them to drop in and get all excited about. It's a fun practice. And if you're someone who gives to our church, um, if you filled out a pledge card, the big first thing I want to say is thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for supporting the work of our church. Thank you for supporting our ministries. Thank you for turning in a pledge card. That helps our church council plan and budget for the next year of ministry. But if you give to our church, if this place is one of hopefully many places where you're able to practice generosity, I hope it brings you joy. I hope you do it out of joy. I hope it brings you joy to 
see our growing children's ministry and our youth ministry, to see outreach ministries like the gathering table, I hope you take joy in supporting that. I hope it gives you joy to support a church like ours that does things a little differently. A church where we try really hard not to be those kind of Christians, if you know what I mean. A church where when we say all are welcome, we actually mean all. It gives me incredible joy to be part of this church, to support the work of this church, to pastor this church. And for that joy, I just want to say thank you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this church and the gift of this community of Christ followers. Help us to love each other, to support each other, and to continue the work that you've called our congregation to here in Brockport. God, help us to find the joy in our work, in those monotonous moments, those times when we are just fed up and done with it. Help us to enjoy whatever wealth you've blessed us with, to celebrate, to party, to bless other people, and to express our gratitude to you. For you are the giver of all good gifts. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.